Amen. Father, we thank you for this day, this time together. I thank you, Father, that we do have the victory, and I thank you, Father, that you are good, that everything that we face in our life, Father, in it, we see victory. Father, when we look in the mirror, we see you. We, we see your love shining back at us. I thank you, Father, there is nothing in this world that we cannot face and overcome because greater are you in us than he who is in the world. Father, we thank you for your word today, that it's a great seed. We thank you that we have ears to hear and eyes to see. I thank you that our hearts are good ground, that your word, Father, collects in our hearts. It is planted there, and it brings up a harvest, a good harvest in Jesus' name. If you'd agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. God is good. It is great to see you. Good to have you with us as we move into uh, Easter season. We've been talking, if you haven't been around here for a little while, we've been talking about loving the lost how important it is to go out and to share what we have seen and heard. That was the end of loving the lost. That idea that says, man, God's done some things in my life. He's done some things in your life, but it's difficult for me to convey that to somebody else. But with great passion and conviction, I can convey what he's done in my life. And so as we go forward in him, I think that's important that we go forward knowing the things that he has done the things that he has brought us through, and being able to communicate to the people who are around us. So the ushers are going to pass out now some cards. Uh, They say experience victory across the top. They're just invites for you to give to people who you see, maybe you run into, maybe somebody at work or somebody in your neighborhood. Hopefully you speak the right language when you talk to them. But uh, it talks about uh, Easter. Experience victory is our, our Easter series that we're going to start today. On the inside, you'll see some things to invite them, tell them about their children having a great time here. You'll see some new names here. If your kids are in WAVE, if they're in that first to fifth grade group over there in WAVE, that's going to be called City Park. We're changing the name and changing the look, and it's all different on the inside, and it, it has a city park theme. They're going to be called City Park Kids, and so that's in here. The k for jayers over here behind us in that, that K4, K5 group, they're going to be called the Clubhouse because they have a gigantic treehouse in there, and they're going to have a good time. And then the little kids, those toddlers, the twos and threes that are walking over there and running around, that's the playroom. So if you see those on here and you don't know where those names come from, that's what they will be by the time we get to Easter. So take this, give it to folks who are around you encourage them. Encourage them to come to church with you and see if God won't do something in their life. Amen? Uh, You can check our commercial out on Facebook and uh, see it on TV. It's Experience Victory, talking about the victory experience that people have had here. And Elizabeth and I just inviting folks to church. Uh, it's on you, it's on our Facebook page. You'll see it on Comcast things. If you watch Animal Planet and all these different shows, I don't I haven't seen it, so I don't know where it is. But it's out there. People are starting to see it. Like the stuff. Share the stuff on Facebook. Social media. Most of you, you got a lot of young people in here. You understand that. Us older people don't quite understand social media, so we we we're slow to get on board. But it is the fastest way and the easiest way and really the cheapest way to reach the most people effectively with the message that you want to reach them with. And for us, it's sharing that love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus and helping people find him and learn to love him more. And so if you find the stuff online or Facebook, you know, we all have friends, 10 friends, 50 friends, 1,000 friends, whatever. Uh, You can share those things, and they all pick all that up, and it just begins to make a, a real firestorm of good news. So I'd encourage you to do that kind of stuff. I've been sharing things. I don't know what it means, but it says that I shared things. So I've been liking things, whatever that means. If I don't like your stuff, it's probably because I don't like your stuff. No, I don't don't, don't know how I don't know what it means. So I just, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but I'm I'm getting better at it. So uh, you help me out with that and do some of that. That will get me out of hawk with Corey because he keeps telling me I need to, I need to do that. So we're going to talk today a little bit about 
we're going to move on from loving the lost, and we're going to talk a little bit about experiencing victory. Because it is Easter, and people are focused on the fact that, you know, Jesus came, that he came into this earth, lived his life as a man, that he died on the cross, and we know he, he laid in the tomb, and the stone was rolled in front, and then, uh, you know, a few days later, they came down to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and, and he was alive. And that, that, that somehow, in this story, came Easter bunnies and peeps and, and all those kind of things. I mean, it just, it just kind of spun out of control. The, the real message is, though, that there was a life given. That there was loss. Jesus lost his life. I mean, he hung on the cross and he died. And we're going to talk about it a little bit today. And that while he was dead, that he was contending in the spirit for the keys, death, hell, and the grave. That he, that, that he just didn't just hang out in there and, and just sit around and play solitaire. I mean, he was, he was dead and he was contending for the faith. As he is in this world, so are we. You know, and baptism is about us going down and dying as he died being buried and coming up alive, and that's the resurrection. And so there's, there's losing, and there's contending, and there's winning. And those are the three messages that we're going to share over the next three weeks, and they get a little muddled, and some I talked about the second or the third one, but there's a great video next week. <laughs> Sorry you came this week. There's a great video next week that will, will help us kind of understand this contending and not giving up and continuing to fight for the faith. And then the last message will be winning. Of course, it's Easter, and we win. I mean, we win, we're victorious, and that's something to celebrate and really to get excited about. But as we start today, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. There's a real, there's, a, there's this idea that, that if you're a loser, once a loser, always a loser. Once a winner, always a winner. You know those kids or maybe those people that you've had in your life or that you had saw in high school, you grew up with them, and they were always, they always won. They won everything, they looked good, they were all, you know, everything was put together, and then there was, you know, whatever, you, me, you know, I just, I, I, I couldn't seem to get over that hump, I was, I was always losing. Uh, we're going to talk today about losing and how important it is to be a loser. I, we, we have to be <laughs> losers. Finally, something I can do. Something that I could be good at, I, I can be a good loser. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to talk to the disciples, and he begins to share some things to them. We'll talk about it for a while today. We, we, we understand this to a certain degree and a certain point, but the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was telling them here in Matthew chapter 16. He'd said it before, but, but they, they didn't get it. So he began to spell it out to them, just like faith and like other concepts that he tried to show them. I'm not trying to put the disciples down as I've talked about them over the last few weeks and months. But what I've been able to see when I look into the Bible now in the New Testament, God's really revealed and, and opened up my eyes to the fact that, I, that I'm a lot more like them than I thought. That, that, that Jesus is still Jesus. But the, the disciples that walked with him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, it, I'm a lot like those guys. I, I don't always get everything that he says to me. I don't always understand everything. And then like they experienced the Holy Spirit in Acts, well, so, so have I. So, have we. So, so now we can go forward the way that they went forward. It's encouraging to me to realize that, you know what? If I don't understand something, I'm not alone. The enemy will tell you, if you don't get it, if you don't understand it, he'll isolate you. And then, you know, you get real quiet. You don't do anything. We're going to see here in a minute that you don't even ask questions. I mean, you just, you just sit there and go, I don't even know. Well, we're a lot like these guys. They were, they were like that. In Matthew chapter 16, if you look in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be killed. 
be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside. Peter said, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Now, Peter was just the guy who had the good answer. You know I mean? He's just the guy who says, you're the Christ, man. You're the rock. You, you are him. You are the son of God. You're the, that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago was this idea that, that that's the thing that makes the gospel simple, that, that I, I, we believe that you are the son. You are the Christ. You are the son of God. Now he's taking Jesus aside and saying, hey, don't get carried away. You, you, don't, you, not, you don't need to die. Don't be freaking everybody out. Okay, the boys are getting nervous. You're saying some stuff that's making them scared. He takes them aside and begins to, I mean, he begins to kind of chastise them for this. And Jesus turns around then, and this is where our attention focuses because he, he really he says some things here that, that seem very harsh. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says to the guy who just had the good answer. You know, that now he's, he's not the good guy anymore. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And, and that's where we have to come to grips here. And we miss this part because of the get behind me, Satan part. That kind of startles us and, and gets our attention more than this second part of the statement that says, you're not mindful of the things of God, you're mindful of the things of men, saying, what you want in your natural heart right now is more important to you than what I have for you in the future, is what he told them. You, you think that what you think having me with you right now is the most important thing in your life. But what I'm telling you, Jesus speaking, what I'm telling you, Peter, is that what I'm about to do is going to open up a new realm for you, and I must do that. You have to change your mind, grab hold of the new concept that if I lose my life, you will gain it. That there is a losing and a winning. He didn't want to see Jesus go down that path. He loved him. He wanted him to be with them. He wanted them to, to continue to teach them and do the thing, live their life together with him. But he was telling them, you must be mindful of the God things, the Jesus business, if you're going to have the everlasting life that I have for you. And he goes on and he says, after he told him that, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, he says, desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And they just looked at him. What are you talking about? It's a concept that they didn't understand. That hold on. You're telling me that if you die, there's going to be more on the other side of that. That if you lay down your life, there's actually... Life on the other, if you die, there's going to be life. If, if you lose your life, we're going to win. We look at the book, of course, and we say, well, yeah, we've read the end. You know, I mean, we go to the back, we, we see, we know we win. They didn't have that luxury, and so they're dealing with this concept. And I would even say, the world deals with this concept too. This idea that says, I have to give up to get that I have to let go of who I am and lay down my life for Christ so that I may receive what he has for me. Everything in our life that deals with loss, I can't say everything. Most things that we deal with in our life in the area of loss is negative. We don't always see the positive that may be attached. The disciples didn't understand 
how Jesus was going to die and they were going to gain from that. Now, later in Philippians, Paul begins to talk and he has got the message. He understands. This is, we don't separate these things probably time-wise as we read through the Bible, but you've got to realize the four Gospels were the time when Jesus was walking on the earth with the disciples up into his death, resurrection, and then ascension into heaven. The rest of the stuff, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said, is after that. After all of that had happened and after the Holy Spirit then came, that's the rest of the New Testament. So when Paul begins to talk like he does in Philippians, he comes off many times as this guy who just, he has it all together. Like these disciples, what were they doing with Jesus? And now Paul, see, if you guys would be more like Paul. Well, Paul, Paul's stories are, they're way after this went down. And so Paul has, a, he sees a little bit more than what the disciples did. The Spirit, Holy Spirit now has been given. Now the disciples see it this way too, but they don't get to write a whole lot more. Luke wrote Acts, but they don't get to write any more stuff. So, so Paul begins to talk, and he says in, in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He got it. He got the concept that says, in loss, there's victory. That if I lay down my life, if I die, I might live again with him. That, that if I get past the flesh and into the spirit, that there is a change there. That there is a letting go of who I am and a grabbing hold of who he is. And Paul, Paul got it. And he talked about those kind of concepts and those things all through his letters. Whether he was writing to the Corinthians or the Ephesians or here in the Philippians. As he talked to Timothy, he continued to encourage him. Look, pal, you've got to fight the fight of faith. We talk about that next week as we talk about contending. Living the life that God has for you starts with losing the life that you're living right now. That's what he just told us. He told us to be losers. He said, he said, lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. But if you try to hold on to your life, if you try to find your life, if you try to make your way, if you refuse to let go of the flesh part, the mental part of who you are in the natural, you won't, you'll lose your life. See, it doesn't make, it, it, we, we come to him with this thing. I mean, it takes faith. You have to understand. You have to believe. You have to believe that the, that the word is true. That, God, that, that the word can say that you can, you can tithe and you can give 10% of your finances, your money that comes into your house, and you're still going to be okay and God's going to take care of you. Well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense to our, to our noggins. It's like, how, how can I do that? I need like 110%. I, I, how can I live on 90? But I'm telling you, trust God. Invest in the kingdom of God, your future, like we talked about. You'll begin to grow, and then you'll see that elephant disappear in your life. Why? Because you're letting go of who you are, and you're grabbing hold of who he is. And it's not just salvation. It's not just the fact that, you know what, we're lost before we found him. We don't have hope before we take him into our life as Savior. We, we, we have no way out, and we're doomed. It, it's not just that salvation experience. It's after that in our life, continuing to let go of the things that hold us back. That in your life, this is bizarre, but you're going to be a loser to win for the rest of your life. Every time God asks you to lose something in your life, he replaces it with something where you win. Every time he asks you to put something down, he asks you to pick up something greater. And if you continue to hold on to the thing that he told you to put down, you're going to be in trouble. Because you won't be able to pick up the thing that's greater. He won't be able to give to you the victory. He won't be able to share with you the life that he's about to share with you. Paul got it. 
the disciples began to get it as they, as they kind of moved on. But, but in, this, in this case, man, they, they, didn't, they did not understand what he was talking about. It actually says, uh, again, in Mark somewhere that, that Jesus began to tell them the same thing, that, that I must suffer all of these things, that I must die, that I, at the hands of the elders, I mean, they're going to kill me, they're going to do all these things, and I, I'm going to die. And it says that the, the disciples didn't understand what he was talking about, and they were too afraid to ask about it. It's in Mark in chapter 9, verse 31 and 32. See, Jesus is pouring out this idea that says, I have to go to the cross and die for you. And it says they didn't, under, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. And they were too afraid to ask. That's what I was talking about earlier. The enemy begins to tell you, well, you should know better. You should know the answer. Don't ask that question and you'll look foolish. It says they were too afraid to even ask him about it. Changing the mentality from losing to winning is difficult. Uh, it's difficult because you have to be the one who decides when you make that change. You have to be the person who believes that, you know what, I was a loser, but now I'm a winner. You're the person spiritually who has to believe that if I let go or lose my life, I will gain his. That's you. That's not me. You can try to convince, you can try to convince me, but I have to make that decision. We try to convince our children all the time. We tell them, listen to me. I know what's going down the road. I know what's going to happen. Will you not please listen to me? And they look at you like, you don't have a clue. And you're, I've been there. I've done that. I promise you, this is coming down. Whatever, lady. Sure, Dad. Roll their eyes. Could you get out of the way? You're blocking the TV. I'm telling you. When I, when I was teaching and coaching, I, I coached golf, and, and I've, I've shared this story a lot, but some of you haven't, haven't been around long, so you, you probably haven't heard it. But I, the hardest thing, when I started coaching the, the girls, the girls' side of that, I coached boys and girls for a while, but when I started coaching the girls, the hardest thing that, that I had, it's, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, or this concept, doing this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, to change their minds, that mindset that says, I'm a loser, and we're going to lose. Change that to say, I'm a winner, and we're going to win. That thing that says that that can change, that losing can be changed into winning. I'm telling you, it, it, that does not come natural to us. We don't get it. We don't understand it. The longer they lose, the more they just think they're losers. You have to get the concept that says losers can be changed to winners. That's why we say losing contending in the middle and winning on the other side. I, I remember when I, when I first started, I had one girl. And they were really good before this year. And the guy, they, they all were all-stars and, and all-state players and all this kind of stuff. They all graduated and left. I had one girl. So I garnered three more. I found three kids that liked me, and I said, listen, you got clubs at home? Well, my brother does. Great, bring them. <laughs> well, will you come? Because you got to have four to play. You know, I mean, well, will you come and just, Come on. Well, I've never really played before. Well, we'll figure it out. Come on. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll teach you. So after a, you know, a season or two of, of that, you can imagine lots of losing, lots of embarrassment, 
we actually didn't go to some of the tournaments because we, I, I had to tell the AD, we can't go. The girls will cry all the way there, and they'll cry all the way home. And, and it, it, <laughs> the bus will be just covered in mascara. It'll be awful. We'll, we won't be. We, gotta, we gotta, can't go. But as, we, as I began to go and began to work with them, I, I began to try to get them to believe that they could win. See, Jesus was trying to tell the disciples, listen, understand the things I'm telling you. Understand the things I'm showing you. What are you, what are you seeing? What are my parables telling you? When I say I have to die because I'm going to raise again, what, what does that mean? To, that means you're going to have life. That means you're going to be victorious. Don't look at the fact that you're losing right now in the natural. Look at the fact that you're going to win in your life eternally. And I began to tell these girls and, 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 and basically lie straight to their face and tell them they're winners and you guys can win. And, you know, I'm like, I, uh, you really had, but I started to believe. I, I started to believe. And, and this is not a whole lot different than in, than in the church. I mean, you guys are all in here. Many of you are saved and you have Jesus alive on the inside of you. But I'm telling you, still trying to convince you the fact that there is more to this life than where you are is, is the same kind of struggle sometimes. That God had to speak to me all the time. And I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, why will you not just listen to me? I mean, you got the first thing, the second thing, the third thing. Why won't you listen to me now? And it's that, oh, you know, as a parent, you get just, oh, you get to your wits. Come on, kid. Have I not been right the last five times? So with these girls, I remember the time when I, when I really, it was like I, I was driving. We always had breakfast, and then before the section, we would drive down to the, to the thing. And in between breakfast and driving down to the, to the golf course, I felt like God was putting this in my heart. You have to tell them that they can win. You, 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 they've got to believe it. And he said, you know, and, and so I'm thinking, okay. Because I knew. I, I scratch all the numbers down. If they all shot the best that they could possibly shoot, not like what Tiger Woods could shoot, but just the best that they could do, like each one of them, if you could just do this and if you could just do, that would give us enough. To, I mean, we really, we could win. And so I sat in the parking lot <laughs> with these high school girls who look like a ragtag shirts different, hats sideways. They, they, they don't even, man, I took a while to even get them to learn how to dress like golfers. It was just, a, oh, come on. And finally, I got a girl who loved it, and I said, okay, look, you're the team captain of outfits, okay? You get, <laughs> get matching ribbons, get matching hats, make them do all their stuff. I mean, like, they can't come on the course unless they pass by you first. We gotta, you got to look the part, you know? So this was a ragtag bunch at the time. And so I, 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 but I was pleading with them, literally I had tears. I, I mean, I was literally crying. I had so much passion to, to tell them that they could win. And man, I'm telling you, they were laughing. They were shaking their head. They were saying, this guy's an idiot. He has lost it. Look, he's crying. Go get his wife. Somebody go, we need help. Call the athletic director. The guy's going crazy. Get his medicine. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm just going, come on, girls. Come on. I'm telling you, you can do this. And finally, I just, I, I, I'd done all I could do. Had no more tears and just said, oh, well, let's team. <laughs> let's just go make it, go see what we can do. Now, that, but they didn't believe. They, they didn't believe. But there came a day and there came a time after, I mean, it was, I'm telling you, from the coach's side, it is draining. 
It is draining. I'm sure God, I mean, he's, he's coaching each one of us in our life, and he's pouring himself out in us like that, telling us that if you'll just let go of this thing, if you'll just lose this part, if you'll just let go of what you think and grab hold of what I have for you, I am telling you that you will be victorious and you will win. And they're right, man, I, just, I took them out. But after a few more years, I was about a four, about a four or five-year process. Those are long times, long seasons. It's the shortest season in high school sports, but it seems the longest when you lose every day. And you're trying to change the perspective that says, I, I've lost, but I can win. And, but after about four or five years, they began to get it. Like one at a time. And then one of them got some victory, and, and then all of a sudden they thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. Then before we knew it, now all of a sudden, now they started to believe that they could win. Now they started to expect that they could win. Now that part of my job was kind of, now I was just cheering them along as they were cheering with me. Then they started getting ticked if they lost. Then they're starting to knock out, I mean, they're wanting to go after girls. You know, that girl just cheated. I'm telling you what, coach, I'm going, hey, hey, it's okay, just relax. I'm, they're yelling at them on the bus, and they're, oh, I can't believe, you know, I was like, well, at least we've changed the mentality. I've turned you into something else, but we, we have changed the mentality that says we, we're, we're losers. You're not a loser, but you have to lose to win. I'm not calling you a loser today, but I am telling you that you have to lose to win, and it's not just once. You have to continue to lose those things in your life. Some of the longest losing streaks in sports stopped, changed, became a win, but it, many of them were at the last second, the last moment, the last swing, the last shot. There was a high school basketball team in Pennsylvania, this Mifflin County High School. It's in Pennsylvania. And they had lost this boys team 88 games in a row. I thought, good, I feel good about myself. I haven't lost 88 games, you know. They lost 88 games in a row. Every game, the coach is in the locker room going, Okay, boys, we can do it tonight. We can win. And they're thinking, no, we can't. Look around. We've lost 87. We're going to lose again tonight. But he's trying to get them to understand they can win. But the, the line between winning and losing is very thin. And the cross is the thing that takes us from losing to winning. It's the thing that makes losing and gaining possible. It's the thing that, that says we, we can die yet receive life at the same time. It's the cross that makes that difference, that crossover. Well, this team finally, this Mifflin High team, poor Muncie High, the team they beat, but they, they finally, this Mifflinburg, they finally, they finally had a win on that 89th go-round by one point because some kid made two free throws with like six seconds left in the game. Like razor, I mean like right, it's right down to the wire, but they won. It, it, takes that, it takes that moment where you have to decide, we can do it. I mean, this kid could sit on the bench and say, I can't make, we've lost 88 games in a row. But he stepped up to the line and thought, you know what? We could win this one. Probably had to go home and change his shorts because he probably freaked out right there in front of all those people. <laughs> Maybe there wasn't anybody there. They lost 88 games. It probably was a real quiet gym. You probably didn't have to worry about pressure. But There's another Pennsylvania team. I don't know what's about Pennsylvania, but the longest girls basketball losing streak... 243 games. Oh, 14 years. <laughs> Everybody does the same thing. Oh, my. I would have closed the school. 
<laughs> Burn the gym. We got no, there's nothing here, man. This is Carbondale's Sacred Heart. These little Catholic girls out there giving it their all, probably in culottes. You know, I mean, they're doing their thing, and there's 243 losses in a row. But one day, one day, something, something switched, something changed, and they won that 244th game by one point. And they had to come from 11 points down in the last half just to get to that point. They had to decide in the last minute, you know what? We're going to fight for it. We're 11 points down. We could lose again, but we've lost enough. Now we're going to win. And they, they won. It's this concept that changes you, that all of a sudden it makes this idea that says, you know what? I was a loser, but now I'm a winner. That's important. It's the only way we have everlasting life with him. But it's also the only way as believers that we mature and we grow in him. The disciples didn't get it because they were law guys. They understood or, or knew about or had read the law, that the, the five books of the Old Testament, the thing, you know, I mean, that, that's, what they were, that's what they knew about. And the law always encouraged like loss and death and pain and agony. And, and it was all this defeat type stuff. What Jesus was trying to show them and teach them was a new life, the New Testament, the new covenant in him that brought life, that brought forgiveness, that, that brought acceptance, that, that brought peace and joy. See, it brought something into their life that at that time they didn't, they didn't even know was possible. All they had was this dead old law, and now he was going to talk to them about a new covenant. Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that, that he, is, he has made us ministers of a new covenant, is what he said. What is the new covenant? Now, this is Paul again, right? He's down the road. He gets to be the hero and say all this good stuff. But he says it's a, it's a new covenant of life. He says, not the letter because the letter kills, but this new covenant is of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives life. It's verses like 4 through 8 there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and the disciples, had they, they, they began to get their mind around this, around Acts. And they began to realize that they, because Jesus told them. I mean, here, get this. These guys are close to Jesus. And he's been telling them this. And then it comes to like what we call Easter. It comes to the end. So Christ enters the city. And everybody's Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, that's next week, Palm Sunday. And, and, and then he ends up getting drugged before the leaders. And he gets convicted of crimes he hasn't done, just like he said was going to happen. They begin to beat him. They begin to punch him. They begin to kick him. They begin to smack him. They begin to pull his hair. They bloody him, have him drag his cross. Then they put him on the cross, and he dies. Like, last breath, dead. And these are the guys like Peter who said, no, 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 we don't want you, man, we don't. And they're watching all this go down. And so they take him off the cross and they lay him in a tomb and they roll a rock in front of it. They have seen Jesus like raise Lazarus from the dead. They've seen the blind have sight. They've seen hands grow. They've seen crippled people walk. I mean, they, they've seen him tell people their story, their history, and not know them. I mean, they've seen all these great things, but it's different now. He's dead. He's not with them. He, like, his life has left. He's in, he's in the tomb. That's a place of contending where he's fighting in the spirit. He's told them all this, that, that, but he, they don't quite get it. He says, like, look, you, you, I'm going to have to, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them all this stuff. And they, but they're in this place where he, now he's dead. 
And it actually says, like, after he, had, after he had resurrected and after he had seen people, they came and told, they told the disciples, look, we've seen him, we've seen him. And they're like, please. And he tells them in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, he tells them. He rebukes them for their doubt and unbelief in the people who said he was alive. These were the guys who, who he told, look, this is going to happen. And when it happened, they didn't even believe that. I'm telling you, this is a mentality that's difficult to to change. It changed, but it's difficult. You 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 have to decide that what you see with your eyes, what you see in the natural, is subject to change. You have to understand that the things that are that are eternal in your life are those things that you see by the Spirit and the things that you grab hold of by faith. 2 Corinthians 4.18, For the things that we see in this world or with our eyes are temporal, but the things that are eternal are those things that we see by faith. You, you, have, you have to get to that point, and the disciples did. And we have as we've come to Christ and as we've, 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 we've begun, begun to walk with Him. But I'm telling you, in this maturing process as believers, not one of us gets to the point where we're done yet until we go be with Him. You are, you are not perfected and you are not glorified and you are not, you are not perfect in, your, in who you are as a believer until you go to be with him. And until that point, there's losing and winning that goes on in your life. And you determine if you're going to lose to win. You feel like, and I have felt like, I have given everything that I have to give. And then he starts talking to you about something else. But I've given everything. Can I not just keep this one thing and he says what do you want to have between me and you do you want to win you got to lose whatever he has shared with you told you whatever he's bringing you to whatever he's asked you to drop or or lay down or lose or or slay in your life heed what he says because if you don't those things that you refuse to lose will eventually come back and destroy you. You may think, I've got this under control. That, you know, nobody knows about this, or this, like, I'm 95% doing what God told me to do, but you know what, I just, I, I just can't do it over there. I just can't quit this. I just can't stop that. Well, has God asked you to? Yeah, but I just, I just can't do it. I'm telling you, that thing's going to destroy you. Right. Oh, it's just a little thing. Little things will kill you. Get a splinter, it can kill you. But if you deal with it, if you take it out, if you lose it, it won't kill you. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul also encourages, encourages us here as he shares. He says, lay aside every weight. Lose every weight. Lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares you. And then what? Run your race looking unto Jesus. And he says in the, to the letter in the, to the Corinthians, he says, run that race to win. You have to lose the weights to win the race. And you will never be able to run as quickly, as swift, as well, carrying the weights and the sin and the stuff that you refuse to let go of as you could without it all. We look at the children of Israel and sometimes we just shake their head as we read through the Old Testament. Because it says they loved God and he blessed them, and then they served other gods. And then they loved God and they blessed them, and they served other gods. I mean, it was this continual cycle. But, but really, if you go back and you want to find out what, like, the, their major problem, they didn't do what God said. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 20, he told them flat out, you're going to go into this land, kill everybody. Kill all the ites. All the ites. Get rid of them. The Moabites, the Canaanites, get rid of them all. Tony, if you you can't get rid of that little piece, that little part on the inside of you, it'll destroy you. Think about Lot's wife. She left Sodom, but she couldn't let go of that last, I I just got to, one more time. Right? Don't we say that? Just one more time. Just one more time, God, that's it. And one more time, she turned into a pillar of salt. And then from this time when God told them in Deuteronomy, look, listen, you need to get rid of all the ites. He says, utterly destroy them. From that time, as you follow them through in Joshua and Judges, it gets to the point where they didn't do it. Lots of reasons. They were scared at times. They were, sometimes they were just lazy. Sometimes they didn't like what God was giving them. I mean, they, they, you go back and read this in Joshua in chapter 17 or something, 16, 17 in there in Joshua. They, they begin to tell God, look, I'm not doing it because, look, you've put us in the mountains and there's woods up there. And we have to chop the wood, but we want to live down here in the valley. But that's where all the Canaanites, that's where all the ites are. And they've got irons of chariots, and they're so strong. And Joshua said, you suck it up and get up in that hill and start cutting wood. But they, they, they were lazy, they were tired, they were grumpy, they, all these things. And they didn't kill them. And then by the time you get to Judges in chapter 3, it says, not only did they not get rid of all the ites, at that point they were marrying with the ites. And that led to serving other gods. See, it wasn't necessarily the serving of other gods, although that got them in trouble. It was the fact that they didn't take care of or let go of or lose or kill the people who God said to take care of. Then that, from that point, got all the way down to where they, were, they would never say, we'll serve other gods. Oh, I would ne- we would never do that. But I'll keep hold of this little thing that he's asking me to lose. I'm telling you, that thing will eventually come back and lead to something more destructive in your life. So we have to make the decision. As we talk today about losing and then next week about contending and then finally at Easter about winning, we have to make the decision today. Will we let go? First, will we let go of our life? Like what Jesus was telling the disciples. Look, I'm going to ascend to heaven so that you can have everlasting and eternal life with me. That's the first decision that we have to make. And then as we mature in Christ from there, we have to decide if we're going to keep walking down the path or if we're not. And here's the deal. If we keep taking one step at a time, we keep winning every time. You got to fight. Sometimes you got to push yourself to make the step, contend. But I'm telling you, you take the step and you win. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. 
It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.